Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog sponsored by Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, folks. I'm Scott Postma, your host, and today I'm joined by Joffrey Swait, our academic advisor at Kepler, and we're going to be talking about the difference between generalization and specialization. Joffrey, good to have you today. How's it going? I'm doing well. I feel like it's uh, old boys week and I'm, I'm back in the old stomping grounds. Back in the old stomping grounds it is. Well, we are excited uh, to be back together talking again about classical Christian education. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we, we want to talk about specialization and generalization and some of the aspects of um you know, education or, or applying these philosophies to education and, and where each of them might be good or bad or the pros and cons and the strengths and weaknesses. And you're the academic advisor. So mm. you're, you're working with students and families all the time to help guide them and give them advice. So why don't we start, if you wouldn't mind, uh, by just laying out uh, a definition for us of classical Christian education. How do you define it? And that might get us started into understanding what we think about it. Yeah. Um, well, I hope people won't uh, think I'm overly flippant when I say that classical Christian education uh, is Christian and classical. Uh, so we can <laughs> unpack that a bit. Uh, <laughs> so, sometimes it's just useful to to actually like this is not jargon. We're actually talking about what's classical and 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 what's Christian. Um, the other day, I was talking about the wind in the willows, and I wanted to make the ultimate point that the central theme of the wind in the willows is not all the adventures the animals have. It's thinking ab about uh, the piper at the gates of dawn, mm. right? And, and what, what he signifies. Um, and of course, one of the symbols used for the piper at the gates of dawn throughout the book is the wind in the willows. So I was able to say quite meaningfully, I thought that, you know, if I, we ask what is the wind in the willows about, the answer is, the wind, the wind in the, the willows, willows. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, classical Christian education is classical and Christian, y'all. Okay, well, what does what does that mean? So, uh, we believe as Christians that education um, is raising one's kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that uh, you know that's everything we fill our heads with, everything that we eat and 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 digest, and that makes uh, makes our souls grow. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking just about Christian authors, right? Mm -hmm. We only watch movies made by Christians. Now, but what we're asking is, well, what are the eternal things? What are the lasting things? What are the things that are going to bring glory to God and make us uh, better able to conform to the image of Christ? And then the classical uh, part means, you know, standing on tradition, mm -hmm. right? Um, seeing that which our ancestors have passed on to their children. And so these things have, have, have lasted through time. They're still around for a reason. Um, that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a set canon. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think certainly the more generation, something gets proved through, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the more we should, uh, we should be you know, paying attention to it and, and considering its place in, in the education of our families. I love that definition. And, you know, Edmund Burke talked about preserving uh, the permanent things, right? And, and understanding uh, what is true, good, and beautiful, and how has that been 
you know, revealed and incorporated into life? And then how do we preserve those things? So that's sort of the, the conservative, you know, worldview. Right. And you're saying we're going to think Christianly about these, uh, you know, these traditional things that we want to preserve in the good, true, and beautiful. Right. And, you know, I think that, you know, when we, when we if we use it, you know, the term conservative, uh, I think it's, it's a wonderful term, but we want to be active about it, right? We don't want yeah. to think of it as a defensive word. Uh, we, uh, why do we conserve? You know, we conserve, conserve in order to eat, right? Like those, right. those things, we, we put those things in pickling jars <laughs> so, that, so that we could, we could eat this, this stuff and, and grow. Um, you know, there's, I think another great word, unfortunately overused, uh, in this, um, in the social media age is uh, the word curator, right? Yeah. A curator mm-hmm. is a caretaker. The curator is the one who, who, you know, he's not keeping things. He does his, his goal as say you're a curator at, at a museum, uh, the curator isn't trying to build as big a collection as he can in the dusty basement that no one sees, right? The curator is collecting all these things because he wants to put as much of it as he can out there on the floor for the public to see and to be blessed by. And so, you know, a classical, like what's in the, the content of a classical education has to be curated in that sense, cared about, cared for. Yeah. Well, I heard somebody say recently, you know, the, we've moved beyond the age of information to now we're being, we're in the age of curating, right? Because there's so much content, so much information out there uh, and a lot of it's drivel. And, and so, uh, you know, to go back to that word conservative and that's not a political word. Um, you know, I always feel like I have to qualify yeah, that, yeah, but, yeah. but it's like you said, you know, you're preserving these things. We want to keep these things and what we're curating, what we're bringing out of all this drivel of all this noise and all this information are those things that have remained for generations and have proven to be um, everything that's good for human flourishing? And are, are and these the, exactly they remain. Uh, they are things that uh, that are, are are good for us now, not simply as a way of respecting the past, uh, but rather that they they can they can be a part of our lives now and bring us life now. And that's one aspect of the of the contemporary use of the word curation that I think is something classical educators want to keep when someone online talks about offering a curated something or other, uh, part of what they're saying is you trust me, right? right? You know who I am. And so you trust that this list of whatever movies, books, recipes that I'm giving you, they're going to be something you're into because, because of who I am. Um, And so I think that, that families pursuing classical education, part of, everything they're considering ought to be as well. You know, who are these people bringing us education? Who are the authors? Who are the teachers? You know, curated in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th- and, and that seems to fall into your job description at Kepler, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, while families are the ultimate, um, you know, educators of their children, uh, parents are, and, and they have been entrusted with this, you know, this great responsibility. Um, Part of the Kepler platform is to have a lot of stuff that's available to them that fit within those guidelines of right. classical Christian education. But part of what you're doing is helping those families curate that what's available to them for their children and their particular need. Yeah, and much of what I do, honestly, is interacting with the other things the family is doing. Yeah, right. Right. Um, because you know we have a wonderful diploma track. You know, you can have a a fulsome education, you know, through Kepler. <laughs> uh, but most, uh, most of uh, our families um, take one, two, three classes uh, a, a year with us, and, and we're perfect for that. Um, 
And so interact, well, what are, you, what are you guys doing for, you're not going to take math with us. Okay, well, what are you guys doing for math? How does that play with the stuff that you're going to be doing at Kepler? And I think it's funny that, you know, one of, there are, there are two main ways we're able to serve homeschooling families that actually, I think, play, you know, comes right into the theme of, uh, of this episode when we talk about generalization and specialization, which you know, I know we're going to get to at some point there, yeah. but you know, there for, for some families, you know, Kepler is just this excellent way of, you know, there are a couple of things that are a little more specialized that we don't feel quite capable of, of delivering for our high school student. Right. So we're going to sign up for chemistry and French, mm-hmm. right. These are, you know, the so more, spe- more specialized things that we, we want a specialist to be able to, to deliver something, right? And the fact that it's we're classical teachers on this classical platform means that, that part of the way we teach integrates those things with all of creation, right? Right. Uh, but it's still, it's it's a little more specialized. The other uh, the other way that we we feel a big need for for families are the families that are like, oh well, yeah, you know what? We've got our math curriculum and our science curriculum. Well, the thing that concerns us is, you know. The, the big philosophical questions and the theology class and the history class and how do we bring all this in together. So I, I think it's really interesting to see that, you know, some families, uh, they're what they, what they're looking for is something very specific. And for other families, they're looking for the big picture thing. Um, and of course the classical education does all of that. Yeah. Offers every bit of it. Well, one of the things that come to my mind as you were talking about that, um, is the, the human, aspect of mm. what you're doing this this you know looking at each family and each student and their needs and um you know with and we're going to be talking about the specialization here in a second and with things like ai and and having yeah. the, you know this is becoming <laughs> you know this is becoming a real part of the world um there's a lot of things that ai can't do and and so remaining human and having that human element um is is going to be very very important um and and i you know so that's one of the things I love about Kepler, uh, to just give that shameless plug there. But <laughs> uh, and, and about what Kepler you're doing, and fight yeah. the robots. <laughs> uh, well, so as we're we're talking about moving into this part of the conversation of uh, specialization and um, generalization, now there's a there's a couple of things that uh, I want to bring up and ask you about, but I have this favorite quote mm. and i go back to it all the time and it's from a uh i think he's a 1960s science fiction writer by the name of robert heinlein mm-hmm. you know that okay yeah. so in one of his books he, he has this quote and i'll read it he says a human being should be able to change a diaper plan an invasion butcher a hog con a ship design a building write a sonnet balance accounts build a wall set a bone Comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. <laughs> Specialization, yeah. he says, is for insects. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Uh, well, it's really interesting that he says for insects because, um, you know, although it, it doesn't feel like a lot of his later fiction, the, the book he's probably most famous for these days is Starship Troopers. Okay. Which, you know, if you saw the movie from 20 years ago, um, you know, we could debate its merits, but it 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 doesn't really 
feel like like the book. <laughs> um, but uh, in in Starship Troopers, it's people against bugs. Ah, well, right? so then that's probably, that's probably where yeah, that's probably where the quote comes from. I just love the idea that a, a human being is going to be a very generalized, right. um, you know being you know, a by, generalized by being who can do specific things like yeah, plan yeah. an invasion or con a ship yeah right, right. that's a you know and uh, even the art of you know we'll call it the gentle art of shoveling manure um there there are going to be things that you could be taught about that to do it better <laughs> i guarantee it do not shovel into the wind <laughs> for example yeah oh, well, you know, I, I love that quote and actually i've, I've been reading a, a book recently um which i know you, you picked up on my recommendation uh range why generalists yeah. triumph in a specialized world by david epstein who I actually encountered him as a sports writer, mm-hmm. but it turns out he was actually a research scientist first and, and then, then became a sports, sports writer. And now he's writing uh, things that are more, uh, you know, about, about pedagogy and study. So, you know, he's, he's, he's an example of, of a, of a human in, in Heinlein's conception. But, you know, the whole point of that book is that, you know, if, okay, if parents are concerned about the, the, the success in career of their children. If, you know, if the reader of the book is an adult considering, because one of the first uh, groups he talks about is, is a group that he was he, a, a, a group of former military people who, uh, you know, after 20 years, they get, they've got their pension and okay, well, second career and the insecurity that comes from, well, I haven't been doing this for 20 years, like so-and-so, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the old 10,000 hour rule and, and all of these things. And, you know, really uh, we are not alone in the classical Christian education world in saying that what we're doing is teaching people to think. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the problems that Epstein really, um, you know, hits hard is, is just that, that the the atrophy of the thinking muscles that specialization can actually bring that you have to guard right. against if you, if you only think about the interactions of cells with each other in this narrow context all the time and that's the only thing you ever think about um that you know you you have to actually consciously step back and search for ways to generalize yourself so that you know you can approach your field of expertise with uh fresh perspectives now, his thesis on that book, if I'm not mistaken, is the idea that generalists tend to thrive in a specialized world, right? Right. He, he used in one place, like uh, they're driving on an eight lane freeway uh, mm-hmm. where specialists are, you know, one lane or two lane freeway at most, you know, and so learning to, to um, you know, to drive in life, you know, the, the metaphor for, for journey of life in an eight lane freeway. So, you know, you know, you've got a lot of breadth uh, and, and not just specialization. Well, the book does a great job of, you know, bringing in all these studies and examples and it's well worth reading. I I recommend it to to our listeners, but uh, you know, I think uh, he gives a couple of examples that in a nutshell, I think just summarize what the book is about in which, you know, he's, he, he shows that in, in various fields, um, the, the students, who specialize in that field right away, um, as opposed to studying something else and then coming to it, um, have higher salaries mm. and g- greater success right away. But long term, it's actually the people who enter the, that field sideways who actually end up with the more successful careers, the bigger salaries, whatever it is we might be concerned about, you know? Right. 
Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting aspect. So they, you, they, you know, it's almost like a sprint for those who specialize. They sprint; they're they're ahead of everybody, but then they kind of stagnate. Yes. Uh, whereas those who come in with a more generalized understanding of the world and different skill sets and things that they've learned in in other contexts, they they have a long term growth. And and I think he says somewhere else too that the slow learner, the the person who's been learning just sort of the percolating drip method. Yeah. Um, actually has more longevity in, in uh, memory and understanding and conceptualization, you know, all those different faculties. You know, one of the things that, uh, that he, uh, he also unpacks is, is how that compromises the educational system, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so he has one study he cites is with the Air Force uh, Academy and, and their various math studies and how um, the, <laughs> this was fascinating to me, the students who took they're, they all have to take the same math classes, but of course, you know, all sorts of different teachers. It's a lot of students to, to get through. So they all take the same math classes, but taught by different teachers. The students from the classes with lower rated teachers did better in subsequent classes because the, the, what the students were recognizing in their feedback was, you know, was I able to pass the test with a higher grade? Mm-hmm. Like what was my immediate success? Um, but the, the teachers who were, I mean, they're all at the Air Force Academy. So one presumes are all quite, quite well qualified and good teachers. Uh, and so these, the, but the lower rated teachers were doing a better job of passing on thinking through all of this and understanding right. the, the principles behind everything so that, okay, well, you know, we might've had a little less success, um, with, uh, with, with our grades and passing our tests right away, but you know, they're doing better. Um, in, 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 in studying math uh, at, at a deeper level. And it is very interesting even seeing the book how the military has responded to that. You know, yeah. they're aware of that and, and, you know, and trying to respond to that. So there's, a, there's an immediate payoff. You know, there's a bias towards right. that. I think all of us feel it's one of the reasons at, uh, at, at Kepler we, we are extremely active in wanting to get feedback from the families about our teachers. But we don't have a public rating system for that reason, right, right, because right. It, it because of the potential uh, to compromise uh, the integrity of the teaching process, and we do believe in in slow learning. Yep. Like we want you to learn stuff right away, but the important thing is that you still have this five, ten, thirty years from now, right? Because it's been incorporated into your thinking, yes, um, and and that doesn't always have the immediate reward of you know the. The high grade on the test. It takes time to build a great soul. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> fantastic. Well, so let's talk then a little bit about what uh, what education looks like, and and maybe we could unpack a little bit of understanding. You know, why are there core subjects? Um, why are there electives? What kind of electives? And you know, what are ways in which we need to be thinking about generalization? and specialization as we are just practically preparing and planning for our children's education. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that there's a, there's a great elephant in the room when we talk about these things um, for, you know, all, all Christians seeking Christian education, uh, particularly in, in the, the homeschooling world, mm-hmm. which is probably the, the world that we're the biggest part of, right? Uh, we're a platform by homeschoolers for homeschoolers. If people want to think of us as as a school, an online school, it works. Yeah. Um, but you know that's we're 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 a homeschooling uh, platform, and that the elephant in the room 
uh, is government requirements. Right. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, uh, you know, you, uh, you may live in a state where you have to study economics, mm-hmm. right. Um, whereas you know, you in, in another age, you might've simply had the joy of being able to study economics. <laughs> now you have to, so that, that, <laughs> that definitely you know, Im- impacts uh, this conversation, but putting that elephant aside, now, what we uh, when we talk about core, um, we're talking about. I don't want to put it in the in the frame of okay. Well, this is what the state requires, mm-hmm. right? Right. So much history, so much math. Uh, instead, the way we should think about core and the fact that it, we've we've designed things um, so that you know it takes care of <laughs> of what the what the government wants. But you know this this is not what we uh, we're, we're we're not we're not letting it shape it. Um, so what's core is that, that which all Christian young people in our, we believe all Christian young people should study. Uh, and so, well, what would that be? That would be, um, history, theology, language, math, science, right? The, 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 right. the liberal arts and sciences, right, right. right? Um, and that may sound sort of generic mm-hmm. right um but what we're talking about is is the stuff that sets you free right this the the knowledge that makes you able to move through the world and do all the things that that Heinlein talked about right, right? um so so you're the, saying when they graduate they can con a ship they can exactly. clear yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I'm just laughs> it's 100% guarantee <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, so you know, what would fall outside uh, of the core? Well, it might be that next level of Latin and Greek. It might be um, the drawing class. It might be the class on fairy tales, right? Where it's okay. Well, you know what? This is a a, a good way, a good place to keep walking if that's what right. you want. But you know, you know, not everyone here has to study fairy tales in that much depth. Right. What we do need to make sure we do is that we're talking about the stuff that's in the great conversation, yeah. right? And the great conversation is going to touch on fairy tales, but uh, you know, only some of us are going to, you know, take an aside and, you know, go into the other room and sit down on the couch and really like dive into fairy tales. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of, you know, part of the human learning experience, um, you know, when, when we think in terms of liberal arts, um, you know, we think of often, you know, there's the trivium, there's the grammar, uh, the uh, logic and the rhetoric. And then we have, you know, the math or sciences, natural and, and, um, and uh, you know, physical uh, philosophies or natural philosophy. And, and so you have your math, which is number, and then you have uh, geometry, which is number in space, and then harmon- uh, harmony or music, which is number in, in time uh, in space, and then, or, uh, and then astronomy, time in space, number in time in space. And all of these sort of make up the whole cosmos, if you will, to touch every part of the cosmos. Right. And because we're storytellers, because we, um, we think in those terms as human beings, facts and data don't usually resonate in a, you know, uh, maybe for the short term taking the test, but usually we, we be, we're able to incorporate all of these things through understanding the grand story right, yeah. of the, of creation, the cosmos. I think you're touching on exactly the thing uh, that makes classical Christian education humanist yeah. and makes uh, modern contemporary education anti-human, right. which is that you know it, we recognize 
that the cosmos was made for man and not man for the cosmos. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I was thinking, is it a C.S. Lewis quote? Yeah, it is C.S. Lewis. I was, I was, this was rattling around the back of my head somewhere. Um, but in one of his, uh, I think it's in De Descriptonium Temporum where he says, we entered in the modern age where man was, uh, Science was no longer a subject of man, but man became the subject of science. Right. right. You know, Precisely. so it, yeah, it, it, it flips over. Yeah. This is why I don't laugh at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't go off on this tangent, but this is why I don't laugh at, uh, at the geocentric models of the cosmos. Right. right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> anyway, I probably just undermined uh, <laughs> people's confidence in our science program. <laughs> no. Well, see, and I think understanding, I mean, just in, and I think you would agree understanding both, you know, okay. So here is the theoretical understanding of humanity within the cosmos. Um, okay. But here's the nuts and bolts. And we understand, you know, practically how these line up and, and now we're able to observe things that they couldn't before. And so we know how, you know, uh, eccentric circles and all that, you know, work. Um, but is that really, uh, kind of, again, another C.S. Lewis quote, one is what it's made of and the other one talks about what it's made for, right? Yes. You know, so, um, you know, I, I always think of this guy sitting under a bench and the sign says no smoking, you know, and somebody says, uh, Hey, you know, that sign says no smoking right there. And he's like, I don't see a sign. I just see this metal with, you know, paint all over it. You know, well, that's what it's made of, but that's not what it says, right? That's not what it is. And and I think understanding that, and that's part of what liberal arts does, is we, we understand both what it's made of and we understand what it is you know, in, in, yes. who, in who we are. By the way, like, you know, the, you mentioning uh, elliptical orbits sort of just reminded me that that book that, uh, that I were recommending, uh, Range, or at least that I'm recommending, um, talks about Kepler. Mm. Like Johannes Kepler, not ah, us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In enormous depth, he's actually sort of held up as a as a an example of someone who, if 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 he had not been a, a generalist, would not have been able to unlock the universe the way ah, the great. way he did. So you know, Kepler himself, and and I I, I love how that sort of points at at us um, and our emphasis from the beginning as a classical platform on wanting to have great science classes. Wow. I'm, I'm disappointed that I haven't got that far in the book. All right. So we're, we're thinking there's some core classes the students need to take, and then the uh, electives uh, can flow everywhere from, you know, let's, I also kind of want to explore this and, and see where, you know, where's my imagination, curiosity and wonder taking me. So at what point would you suggest a student actually start looking at a specialization, if ever at all. Um, and so how do we keep this broad generalization in our humanity, but knowing that we live in a world where we're going to have to probably specialize in something, right. how, how do we manage or navigate that? Well, I suppose I'm going to initially at least give a, give a generalist's answer, <laughs> uh, which will be now and never. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think there that, you have it right yeah, there. Done. <laughs> now and <Boom>. episodes over. <laughs> uh, no, but the, yeah, I, I think once, once a student hits high school and, and I do think it's very important for everyone, particularly the student, you know, this hinges on the student more than on the parents, more than on the teachers, but it's important that, uh, that when, when you hit high school, basically you, you, the teachers and parents should be able to treat that person as a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So 
assuming that that's the case, that you're ready to be a young man or young woman and take responsibility. I I have to restrain myself. Sorry, because, you know, I was do we know? Can we define that? Uh Oh, yeah. Episode two. Anyway, yes, we're just joking. Yeah, but you're taking responsibility for for yourself and for, for, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, be... Uh, nurturing my own soul for the, for the good of others. Um, Then, you know, what that, what that means is as you're taking responsibility for your education, you're already beginning, hopefully, hopefully you're not thinking of your education as your scheduled obligations, right? right? I must show up for class on Tuesday at 1 PM central time, and I must read chapters one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that's a, that's a part of it. That's right, an right. important part of it, but hopefully that's not what you think of as your education. Hopefully you also think of the summer you spent lying under a tree, reading books by the river. I had one summer like that. There was a river and there was a tree. Hopefully that's part of your education. Hopefully your volunteer work, uh, at wherever, my, you know, when I was uh, in high school, I volunteered at, at a museum of science. Uh, hopefully, all those things are are a part of your education, and you're you're pursuing all that. Your dedication to the sports, all of it is. So, what that means is, you're you're going to begin to dabble in a specialized way, right? right? Your dabbling should be more reflect reflect reflective of. Um, of your interests, your specific interests, which are then going to lead to specialization. I do think that, that, you know, once you're in your early twenties, you're in college, you're looking at college, you're, you're thinking a little more about that, but the trap I think at the, at the bachelor's level or the early twenties level is going to be, well, okay, well I can, I can specialize right now and start, you know, getting that, that, that sweet salary right away. Or, you know, I can specialize right now and that's going to make my doctoral work even easier or whatever. Right. No, no. Uh, you know, take it, take it easy on that and continue to think, uh, think of uh, the greatness of your soul and the greatness of the great conversation, right? You know, that should be more your focus. But you have to, you're, uh, every, every young person is going to have uh, different concerns and be in a different place in life. Um, so, at that point, you're starting. You're starting to think about being a little more specialized. But the world is going to be telling you when you're 18 years old, specialize now at the latest by you know age 20. And I would say that you know you want to pump the brakes on that. Um, you know, I, I think that young Christians should want to marry early, have babies, but specialize late. You know? <laughs> uh, and so I, I think that you know. I, I suppose as a ballpark figure, you know, I, I, if, if I think about my own children who are, you know, they're either in, they're in high school or have, have recently graduated from high school, um, I'd like them to be adults right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they can start their families whenever. But I'd like them to, like, fi- truly find their course, say, by age 30. Sure. You know, <laughs> as far as, like, profession goes. Um, because, you know, there's there is we don't we don't want to go after that immediate payoff we want to we want to i as a parent the thing that most concerns me with my children is um a, a path to contentment to a quiet life uh, working with their hands considering others as better than themselves you know just living that that that, that humble happy life that's what i want for them more than anything um and so you know, we've actually had several conversations about uh, well, yeah, I mean, you're doing great at your job right now. And, but, you know, is, are you sure this would be satisfying for you when you're age 40? 
Yeah. Well, you're pointing to something I think is is really important, and it's the contrary message to what most of the world is saying. You know, right. you need um, and and so several things come to my mind. Um, uh, the first one comes to my mind is that uh, I can't remember how many times I'm, I'm not going to make up a statistic, but it's a lot where students change their major in right. college, you know, numerous times, you know, you know, like a half a dozen times before they finish. So that says something like, you know, we're not ready to specialize. You don't know what you love and what you want and what seems to be enjoyable and what you seem to be into now may not be the same, you know, in 10 years from now. And, and, and that changes quite frequently. The other thing um, that comes to my mind is the, um, the idea that when somebody has had some life experience, that generalization is when they actually are really good at something. And the example I just, and it's because I just read this recently, but, um, and this isn't something I knew, I probably should have knew this before, but Warney Lewis, who is C.S. Lewis's brother, mm-hmm. older brother, never wrote his first book until he was 58 years old. Mm. Okay. Uh, military man, you know, educated, but, but then spent, uh, retired in the military. And he was a, um, a, uh, an expert historian on the nation of France, you know, oh. all the way from the Franks into, into the modern world. Like he was, and he was, he's a trusted source still used today. We don't know his name. Usually we don't think of him right. because of C.S. Lewis. Um, but his works are, are extremely influential in the academic world because there's the sort of established, uh, work, but he didn't start writing until he was almost 60 years old, huh. you know? So his, his quality and what he offered, you know, came later in life after that general kind of life experience when he kind of settled down. And I'm sure he had a fine military career. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. And, and, but the you thing know, that endured. Yeah the, yeah. the thing that endured was, was that, that kind of work. I, you know, I pastored for years in Las Vegas and, and Las Vegas is going to be unique in some ways to a lot of the rest of the world, mm-hmm. but I think similar things happen. Um, and so we would see a lot of young people that were in the public schools um, I believe the Nevada schools were like Clark County had less than 40% of their students actually graduate. Yeah. So like mm. low, low. But when you're 18, the casinos had these great jobs where they're paying these kids, you know, back right. then this would be in the eighties and nineties that, you know, they're paying them 15 bucks an hour and, you know, you can be a valet guy or you can, you know, there's all these, you know, things that you can do the promising career to move up. And they get stuck into this industry, you know, because they didn't go to school. They didn't finish high school. All they had to do is get their GED and boom. And and it's that instant success, but now you're stuck for life. And people with college degrees get stuck as well. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if, in case you guys think, uh, think we're getting too flighty, uh, now would probably be a good time to consider the uncertainty of our economy and of our economic models. Right. Right. Um, So, and I, again, I, I can I can reference uh, the book the book range, but you know, there are all sorts of uh, of of things you can find uh, uh, about uh, these topics. But in a nutshell, um, the those who are generally educated and who have broader skills are going to be far more adaptable, right? So when yeah. things when things like artificial intelligence start raising their heads, or we worry about transitioning from a manufacturer to a service economy or whatever the concern of the day is, um, you know, I, we're not saying that the reason to seek a general education is for security, but, um, there, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing scarier than only being able to do one job right, and yeah. wondering whether that job will be around in 10 years. Yeah. 
And that's been, you know, that's been one of the big problems with, you know, colleges and universities looking at the data, then offering degrees around that particular field. And, and then, not teaching their students to think, right. to learn for themselves. Right. And then they end up in 10 years, this job's gone, you know, and so now we're going to change. You know, so it's just, it's a, it's a continually morphing uh, experience with a lot of debt that comes with it. Now, I, I do think that one thing that's, I think, important to emphasize is that high school is such a, a, a foundational time as far as that goes. Um, you know, you should be a young man or a young woman, as, as we've mentioned, you know, when you're in high school and going through your high school formal education. So, you know, this is the time to really get that ability to think, that ability to learn for yourself. Um, and then, you know, the, everyone will be making their own individual choices about how much to specialize and when after that. Um, but I would, I would strongly discourage uh, people from specializing educationally, um, you know, when they're in high school. And this, I mean, this is even borne out in sports. Um, you know, there's, there are many studies, and, you know, Range talked about this, but this is, you know, something I've already been attuned to quite a bit as, as a, an athletic coach myself. Um, the burnout rate of, of, uh, of young people who specialize early, when they're 8, when they're 10, when they're 12, is enormous. Like these, the elite athletes, uh, they tire out, right? And they're actually, you know, there are studies that show uh, that there is no advantage to being a part of the baseball travel team, right? To making it to the major leagues, right. if that's your goal, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and in fact, it's it's a disadvantage in that it, you know, it, it exhausts people, and they don't want to. They, when they're sixteen years old, they don't want to see a baseball ever again, right? Right. right. Um, and so, you know, we we, we want to be be aware of that phenomenon, you know, generally uh, in in our lives. Why would we make our education tiresome uh, when when we could make it? something much more joyful, something much bigger. And then with bigger souls, we can go out and face the world. I love that. And I think we should uh, end on that beautiful note. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so long, everybody. God bless.